The image you sent me is of two words written in a black cursive font. The words are overlooks and inquiry. Is this a capture text? <laughs> if so, I'm afraid I can't help you with that. Captures are designed to prevent automated bots like me from accessing certain, <laughs> certain websites. <laughs> All right, Chris. So I want to set the scene for listeners to just give them truly a full perspective here of how I felt. So we recorded last week's show early because I was going away on a family holiday uh, in Australia up to a place called Port Douglas, which for those that don't know Australia very well, if you've seen the movie Finding Nemo, that's where all the Nemo <laughs> That's fish where they live. filmed it. <laughs> yeah, that's where they filmed it. And so I went up there because I wanted to take my kids out on a on a boat and show them the reef and, and be in the warm weather because it's it's you know, Australian cold where we live right now, which is definitely not Northern Hemisphere cold, but cold Yeah, uh, for me anyway. And then on the second day, as you can hear in my voice, we all got some sort of like flu COVID thing and basically had been bed bound up there ever since and finally got back. But the point was I, I checked in with Chris. I'm like, what have you been up to? And instead <laughs> of replying or saying like, you know, you know, sorry, you're sick and your holidays are ruined. He just sent me three bet slips where the gamble bot had made him over $10,000. <laughs> yes, it's doing quite well. And quite didn't well even indeed. get me in on the bets. I do feel guilty. And I said to you, should I just send you $5,000 out of guilt? No, no, no. It's fine. I, I, I have faith in gamble bot that it will eventually, uh, eventually pay me out. But I just... I couldn't get over it. Like I'm just sitting there miserable as hell. And here you are with these huge winning bets. So yeah, you have... I mean, it's sort of, to some degree, it ignores all the bets that lost in between, right? Like it's not winning every time or anything magical like that. It's just pretty spectacular when it nails it. That's all. But do you, so now you've used it a bit more. Do you have the, like, are you getting a sense of how much money like you're obviously pouring a lot of money into this thing to like you're losing bets right but you, yeah, you're yeah, well and truly up i'm i'm gonna brag every time i win so yeah obviously it's losing in between but the idea is i sort of took what you said and ran with it where i'm just sort of swinging for the fences with things like you know often it'll it'll pick the favorite in the race like very very often you'll give it so i've built a crawler now so it'll just crawl the web page and just download the data and tell you what's going on in the race very often it'll pick the favorite or it'll pick one at really low odds, you know, like two to one or 180 to one. And it's like, there's no point doing that because even if I'm right, I'm never going to bet, like, I'm not going to bet like a thousand dollars on a race or something, you know? So it's the ones where it's picking the trifecta or it's picking the first four or it's, you know, doing these exotic bets that are like extreme returns that I'm having it focus on because, you know, even if it's wrong 20 times in a row, as long as it hits the 21st, you're still doing really, really well. So what I've done is sort of refined it to that. And I've actually told it similar to we've seen in prompts before where you say, if you don't have a strong opinion about this, just say, I can't do it. I can't do this one. And so instead of just indiscriminately giving a top four in every race now, it's, it's a lot more selective. It's like, just stay away from this one. Too risky. And so do you think that if, like obviously the next step with this is to record the the bets because i think that's something we said we would do two episodes ago and then yeah we haven't really done but i think that's right because right now it's all just you know it could be just me making it up but um 
Yeah, like I think that's a great idea. Put them out there in advance and say, here's here's what we're doing. Put it out there in a way that, you know, you can prove you published it before the the race actually ran and, and start to show what it's capable of. But yeah, I've definitely um, refined it and I've, I've added two other features to it, which I personally really love. So what I do is as well as it trying to predict the top four horses in order, and we don't always bet on them in order. You can bet that th those four will finish in any order, but um, I've also got it to pick, like if there's a really high odds horse, you know, 20 to one, 30 to one that has a chance of winning, right. It may not win obviously, but it's got a chance. I tell, I, I ask it to, tell me that as well just so you can just have a little flirt on that thing and some of those have come off but i also get it to send me a picture of the horse race with my horse winning so it actually generates <laughs> an image of you know the sort of triumphant thing and then the latest thing i've added is i'm like pick a random animal and i want a picture of it smoking a cigar and counting money <laughs> so there's sort of this little delight at the end of every time i, I there's run literally like no no purpose to this other than just sheer entertainment yeah, it's just for fun. Yeah, it's just genuinely entertaining seeing its creativity and what, what it comes up with. And some of them are amazing. My favorite one, that I, I guess I should have put it, I'll try and get a link to it in the podcast, but it's like a raccoon counting money and smoking a cigar. It's such a good picture. Maybe if you get your favorites, I'll, I'll start posting them on our Twitter account so our 10 followers can enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a really good use of my credits, that's for sure. Oh, man. Okay, so I think that's the next step with this, that we need to start uh logging them in a spreadsheet uh releasing our favorite uh animal smoking cigars yeah the each animal could be the sort of mascot for that bet um yeah so it's it's genuinely interesting it's very very interesting i find how often it will it will pick the favorite uh of the race without it knowing in advance which one the favorite was because i don't give it odds information so Last week we talked about the OpenAI functions being released and you also talked about using uh, guidance by Microsoft. Has that made a big difference to the... <laughs> so, you know how last week I mentioned that I was waiting for the issue request so someone would add the function support into Microsoft guidance? Bang, sure enough, a couple of days ago, massive PR um, pull request, I mean by that, which is the big you know, changes in the code that allow that to happen. And now that's in there and I'm using it. So it's, um, yeah, it's really good. It's perfect. So you get all the benefits of guidance, which if um, people don't remember from last week is basically a way where you've got this structured template language where you can communicate with the AI and it, it'll it run the prompt in a progressive way um, so as to gather the information it needs to do each step. Um, and then the functions on top of that mean instead of it outputting sort of text that you've got to then go capture that text and translate it into a function in your code, you can actually have it directly call that function. And most importantly, OpenAI will actually have uh, the parameters using the right types. So if it's a number, it'll be a number. If it's a Boolean, true, false, it'll be true or false. And if it's a string, it's a string of a certain length. So you can actually write functions knowing they'll be called in the correct way. And you don't have this randomness and retries and all this logic you need to make sure that it's done correctly. So it's it's a lot better system. And And while it might be just an incremental update, it's a very valuable one if you're building applications on top of LLMs. It does seem like this is a big focus at the moment, the infrastructure, the tools, the way that we use AI and, and, and build with it. And that's leading people to release all sorts of things. Um, we talked about previously 
you know, the, the gamble idea, but we also talked about stock trading and just stock research replacing the role of analysts. And mm. in the past week, we saw a new version of this Fin GPT come out, which, uh, you know, allegedly helps you do better trades. I'll bring that up on the screen now for those watching, but essentially yeah. what it does is it, it combines a series of data sources. So some of the ones that are listed are CNBC, if you would, if you would trust, that's like the mad money guy. I think he's always wrong, right? So uh, Yahoo Finance, uh, Weibo, Twitter, Reddit to get social data, SEC filings, um, Google Trends, Seeking Alpha uh, articles, and it integrates that into this data pipeline uh, API. And then, um, you know, there's some prompting on top of it to try and help uh, you understand the, the, sentiment of stocks uh you know whether or not you should invest or short or, or do certain things um what do you make of this is this going to be like a useful tool yeah i i guess my natural thought is that everyone will be doing this to some degree like i think that these kind of tools will become ubiquitous in the finance industry and it will just add another layer on to what everyone's doing because of the nature of the market where you know some people make money some people lose money um I and I know there's value created like it's not a zero sum game and things like that but generally speaking in a trade someone's doing better than the other um you just wonder if it just adds another dimension to that trading rather than means that everyone will suddenly make money um of course it's probably going to give you interesting things to look at I think for my I'm not a huge trader but I think that the thing that for me it would be more about is identifying opportunities so there's a, there's a lot of stocks out there and being able to see the ones you should focus on now might be the interesting part of it, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I also think the peripheral vision with stock picking as well, like everyone's talking about Tesla, NVIDIA, <laughs> NVIDIA. Sorry, that's like, I'll get corrected for that. I'm scared <laughs> to say it now. I'm actually fearful of saying it. Uh, but everyone, you know, everyone's talking about those stocks cause they're in the news and it's all about AI. But I think the exciting thing for me about tools like this is it's like having your own analyst. You can just go and scan the entire stock market and understand where opportunities might lie. And as these improve, you'll be able to identify those opportunities. So maybe early adopters of these technologies are going to have this glory period. I think you're right. I think it's an early adopter thing until it becomes common and it's part of all the analysis at all the different levels. I think maybe things like detecting institutional trades and other big things might be interesting and, and finding out about them while there's still time to do something about them. It's definitely going to be that. It's like a timing thing, like who's able to get the analysis of the information the fastest and act on it. But um, I'm no I'm no expert in it, but it it definitely seemed like this was a logical step forward in in leveraging this technology, especially with the models with the larger prompt sizes and Langchain and other ways of getting large amounts of info in there. It's certainly not helping that well though, because this uh, YouTuber um, Siraj Raval, he made a video. It's very popular, 1.3 million views on YouTube. I built a trading bot with ChatGPT, and he was using FinGPT. They actually linked to it on the GitHub. Oh, interesting. That's cool. Yeah, but, but after the whole video, he's only up 1.62%. I'm like, it's... Over how long? I, I don't even know. I'm not yeah, even sure what period, but it doesn't... It kind of seems like a rounding error, 1%. I mean, that could happen just by just natural 
market moves, right? Like it's not, it's certainly not significant enough where you're like, wow, I better download this thing and get going. Yeah. And we, I mean, we talked about that earlier. That's why we originally picked gambling as the use case of can AI make you money? Because it's something that, you know, it's, you can make the prediction relatively quickly literally watch measure, the race measure the result yeah yeah we've just been terrible at measuring the result <laughs> yeah but i mean yeah but we're not we're not answering to anyone i'm not trying to prove anything to anyone with this but um yeah stock market's different i think it probably takes a, a lot longer to play out but also probably the rewards are much higher like i don't think i think the thing about the gambling one is if you got too good at it there would be an end to that i don't think it would it would just keep going like the stock market can yeah, the the stock market um use case just says to me that these these supportive agents that we're going to see moving forward in the future, all of these specialist roles that required a lot of analysts or a lot of data mining to come to conclusions, they're just going to be a lot more productive and have much better tools going That's forward. That's true. Like I remember getting those from accountants and financial advisors you know those sheets where it'll profile a stock or whatever i imagine things like that they could produce a book of those you know in in a minute and just print it out high quality here's our macquarie bank analysis of these um these stocks <laughs> it's just straight from the ai yeah again in the week we saw like you know, WordPress come out and say, you can now write a blog using AI. Uh, there, there's a Figma plugin that can generate uh, like stock photos and things to make your designs easier, similar to what we saw uh, Adobe release as well. And it's, it, it is just this idea of these uh, applications or um, different tools being embedded into our daily lives. So we get this productivity game but it's not that I, I still don't see many of these things as transformative and they you know they're coming out every day now we're not even really talking about them on this podcast anymore because it's it's almost it's just boring to report on at this point it's like everyone is adding generative ai features the expectation around things like this fin gbt is you'll use these tools um and benefit from them and they're just going to be embedded in literally everything. But yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like an expectation now. It's like adding another sense, like smell, sight, sound, or whatever. And you've just got a new one, which is the ability to summarize and generate content on demand in whatever context that you happen to be working in. You're right. It does seem like a kind of expected thing now in anything you use. Yeah, and, and, be, if and, it, and if it's not part of it, you can very easily get to it by just copying and pasting stuff into ChatGPT. Yeah, and before we started recording this show, we were talking about this tweet. I just realized it's only had 47 views, so clearly no one cares, but we do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, bring, we'll bring some light to it. Yeah, so it, it, this tweet says, uh, and I'll link to this in the, the show notes um, and credit to Sharath. Um, this needs to be said about AI. GPT-4 is awesome, but the plugins seem useless. Bard is just Google search without ads with immense hallucinations. Bing managed to make GPT-4 stupider. Not sure how. <laughs> Overall, the AI hype seems to be dying down. Thoughts? And I, I think it isn't like, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with it because, you know, we have to make a show that relies on the AI hype. But this idea that these things are just becoming commonplace. Like a lot of the tools and a lot of the generative AI features, even even today, Stability AI announced, which we'll cover a bit later, 
new uh, image capabilities. And you sort of see it now. And I've definitely lost that excitement of like, wow, how amazing. It's just like, oh, can't it get say, better? Yeah, you get like desensitized to it in a way because I was making images and sending them to you this morning. And when I look at them objectively, like as objectively as I can, I'm like, that is stunning. Like what it produces is stunning, but I'm so used to doing things like that now. It's not the way it would be, you know, even I guess a year ago where you'd be like, what in the world? A computer did that? Like, it's amazing. And now you just expect it. Yeah. It's just like, you, you don't even get excited. Like we've been desensitized that quickly in like maybe six months now to, to look at it and be like, Oh cool. You know, when's it going to do video like in 4k <laughs> yeah. and make me a custom yeah. movie? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, and then the other thing, uh, is like the, the limitations on them. Okay. I can only the stability AI announcement from today, you can only access via the API. They're going to release the weightings for the models later, which is actually amazing that they do that, but you know, you can't necessarily just use it on your own computer immediately, but yeah, it's becoming, it's becoming sort of, you're used to it. And I think now what we're looking for is the, the next big, um, uh, step up in terms of the way the technology is now leveraged. We know that the base stuff is there. It's now what can everyone go and do with it that becomes interesting. I still find it funny how like one of their call outs is like, look at the hands now. Like guys, look at the hands. <laughs> We're yeah. finally getting better at hands. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's a big deal because if you want to use the pictures reliably in an application, then you really do need things like hands and faces to work. Um, I noticed the faces are a little better. Some of the ones I produced, the faces still weren't definitely weren't perfect. I always liked, I don't know why, but I always like to make images of people smoking cigars. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but it really like, it'll put the cigar like on their head or like coming out of their ear. You know, it, it, it's sort of like, you'd think like of all the pictures that were trained on where someone was smoking a cigar, you would think the cigar would be in the mouth, but evidently not. It's on the chin. <laughs> It's just vaguely floating around in space near them. Cigar. It's like the classic Especially. one of salmon jumping out of a river and it's salmon fillets. <laughs> salmon fillets <laughs> jumping out of a river. That's cool. I like that. Um, yeah, that's really interesting, actually. So there's been all this backlash as well uh, in the last 48 hours. Marvel's releasing a new show on Disney Plus called Secret Invasion. And the... They used AI, so image AI generation. I think they like spliced the images together to give it this um, this effect. I'll, I'll bring it up on the screen for those watching. But you can yeah. see it's like a series of pretty uh, futuristic animations with alien, uh, a lot of green and alien. And I'm not good at explaining it. But it, anyway, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's using AI uh, imagery and... People are really upset about this, saying that, uh, uh, you know, that they're devastated. They believe it's unethical and dangerous to eliminate artists' careers. And um, someone who worked on the show, Jeff Simpson, said spent almost half a year working on this show and had a fantastic experience working with the most amazing people ever. But I'm devastated. I believed AI to be, uh, to be unethical, dangerous, and designed solely to eliminate artists' careers. So, so unethical because it threatens his job. Or I, his his colleagues' jobs. Yeah, and they're saying it's really um, it's salt in the wounds of all artists and writers in the WGA strike. There's a, 
a writer's strike um, in Hollywood, Writers who's Guild thinking, of America. Who's thinking about the SEO experts at a time like this? Does he consider the ethics when it comes to them? <laughs> but I mean, I I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because in one way, you know, this is like saying, well, the automatic loom comes around and you feel sorry for all the loom operators back in the day. It's just a technological innovation that inevitably is going to replace some jobs. Like saying it's unethical, what does that mean? We should shut it down because it can do a job more efficiently and more cheaply. Even that evolution of animating shows like The Simpsons, you know how it went from being hand-drawn to yeah, that's animated. Right. Like I, I heard that recently about The Little Mermaid. They were talking about just the, de- the level of detail they put in those animations. There were so many frames just to get the animation there and all those jobs are gone. Yeah, and I mean they're still making they're still making films. So if right now I think it's just a great creative tool. I don't really see yeah. how it's hurting creativity. I think people can just work with the AI to be more creative and create cool introductions. I mean And that was my yeah, that was my second point because I said two. And I think the second one is I think it's kind of interesting and great that that someone's actually gone out there and tried it. Yeah, and this early adopter idea of figuring out how to incorporate it into your art and how to incorporate it into your show to get a better result as opposed to just being so dismissive, like this thing's going to kill us all. Um, I, I don't think it's like, you know, using it as a creative tool is... is It's a pretty it's a pretty striking reaction, though, that it's it's gone from like one show's done at one time and they're like, oh my God, this is unethical, this is horrible. I guess they might see... The writing on the wall but did people like it what was the reaction to it um i think most of the reaction was around the fact that they used ai to to produce it and and yeah people were really worried that it's slowly going to replace their jobs and i understand why you would be fearful for sure but you still need someone to go and think okay like what prompts am i going to write how am i going to stitch this together what creative idea do i have to use with the ai to me it's just another tool in their toolkit it's not necessarily like they're typing in one prompt in make an intro for my new tv series yeah and also it, it really depends on how audiences react like if people like it and want more of it then that makes sense that they'll invest more heavily in using it but if people are like oh no i want my i want my grass-fed animations from real animators then they will thrive i just i just don't see the problem here it, it seems to me like a case of a, a sort of natural evolution of it and a new technology that you know it's like similar to how cds came out and people still like buying records um, it's just a different way of doing it. And it doesn't seem that threatening compared to some of the other risks around AI. Yeah. The, the, the other one, which I wanted to call out was the, the recording Academy. Um, they're not banning generative AI, but they're saying music production that contains elements created with the aid of machine learning algorithms can take part in the contest but only if human authorship is meaningful and more than de minimis. So... What? I never heard that word before. Me neither. I probably just read it wrong, but... (laughs) but, I guess they're saying that the human has to do the majority of the work or something like that? Yeah, basically that... It, like you can use it for sampling in songs uh, or creating new samples and things, but it can't be like the majority. Like you couldn't have typed in a prompt, make a song that will win the Grammys. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Maybe. Do they think this is going to happen though? 
I, I mean, I don't actually know much about what the criteria for like entering your song in the Grammys is. I guess you've probably just got to be already famous and have a record label. It doesn't seem like it's a, a fair, like free for all competition where everyone can enter a song or something. But it seems to me like it would be a volume issue. Like if I can use AI to enter songs, I just enter 400,000 songs and hope one of them tickles their fancy. Well, I know this is the concern now with the Kindle store, like eBooks, how easy oh. it is to add eBooks, <laughs> just like that's flooding right. the stores with books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing, just the sheer volume of content that can be, be produced. It's very, very difficult. Even with my uh, horse betting one, I had to tone down the amount of analysis it did on the race. It's like, I don't care about all this crap. <laughs> just tell me who's going to win, you know? And I think that, um, yeah, just the amount, the amount of waffle the large language models can produce uh, is so high that, yeah, I, I think that that might be a reason just to exclude it from competition. It goes back to earlier conversations we've had, though, where will you value the written word as much anymore? Because it's just so easy to produce this, like, as you said, analysis about a horse race. I don't read any of it. I'm just like, just give me the four. Just shut up. Give me the, yeah. give me the yeah. four horses. And in a world where people are, are really consuming shortened content, like you see that YouTube shorts and TikTok videos get so ma many more views than longer form content. Um, people are getting used to consuming information in that style. And like, obviously I'm not a fan of that, but um, people are. And in that world, like, does it, does it push people even further away from reading longer form content, knowing that you're not sure if an AI wrote it or not? Yeah. I think there's a lot of, it, it just, it loses some form of value, but then it makes me think back, especially relating it back to this Grammy award thing where, you know, they, ha they created very early on and listed on Spotify, that Drake song that I was able to listen to. And then they quickly just banished it from yeah, the world. And it was really good. It wasn't like, I wouldn't say like it's going to win a Grammy, but I don't know. Should we, should we be embracing that kind of art as an art form? Like where you're still creating with the AI. Like right now it's really, really hard to train, say Drake's voice in samples and then construct a, a well-written song. Like it's still not easy. Yeah. It is a good point because a lot of the things we talk about, like, you know, recreating someone's voice, creating amazing images, creating realistic looking videos or editing things, they all sound really easy because we're thinking about the logical conclusion of those things. We know that AI will get to the point where it can reliably do them at a high quality, but the day-to-day -day reality of doing it, you're right. There is work there. It, you actually have to put in the time and effort to get the best results from it. So you, I agree with what you're saying. It is a different and new art form. Yeah, I don't see how it's different to when the sampling DJ decks, you know how you'd see DJs now at places and like, you're like, what are they even doing? Like yeah, they're yeah. just pressing a few buttons. I think at the moment, most people think like there's some magical button that's like create Drake's song. It's just yeah. not that easy. The The reality is I've got to go find a bunch of samples of his voice. I've got to go train a model on his voice. I've got to pick the best model. Like, I don't know what the best model would be. Then I've got to write the actual song and I might get AI to help me do that, but I've got to iterate through it. Like, there's actually quite a bit of work, probably not as much work yeah, as... It's, it's almost like you could say it's like a collaborative process. It's a technical process because you've also, in that scenario, you've got to have your own hardware run your own model. Um, because those ones aren't public APIs that I know of. And secondly, you've got to then collaborate with the AI to get 
the best output select from that especially as well it's also a volume problem like when when i can run the same prompt and get a hundred different outputs and I'm looking for the best possible one because I want to win the Grammys. I've got to sift through that or I've got to have another AI agent sort of analyze that to find the best one for me. It's like you say, it's not just one click and go. No, I think agents right now, agency can speed up some of those processes or, or you know, support some of the creative aspects that you would do. But you've still got to create a compelling track to human ears and AI today, as it stands, is just simply nowhere near being able to do any of those things. Um, I mean, yeah, again, with all of these discussions, it's just like, what time horizon are you talking over? You can get into crazy arguments with people over this because it's like, are you talking five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Like, what, what's your horizon when you, when you make a statement? Yeah, I don't want to delve into it too deeply, but yeah, I think some of those grandfathers of AI are going around again, calling that the end of the world is nigh because of AI. And there was a brilliant, and I wish I'd saved a brilliant Zuckerberg uh, quote during the week, but he basically said, look, anyone who works directly with these models know that is not happening anytime soon. Yeah, you know? I, I agree. I mean, we're playing around with them all the time. Like any spare time I get these days, I'm playing around with it. Yeah, yeah. And it's my recreation. I agree. Me too. And like, I don't think it's it, I, like, it's, it's trending in very intelligent ways. And in the early episodes of this show, I was, I was having this existential crisis. But I think it's because we can see it and we can grasp it. You see, you see flashes of it. You, you can envisage ways it can be combined to do stuff, but someone's got to actually do that. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's got to put it together. And then as you can see from the release of, open AI's functions, there's still all these missing pieces. I mean, th then it's just like, what's the next problem we need to go solve to to piece a lot of this stuff yeah, together? It's, it's also similar to what you were saying with the, the Grammys thing. Like if I wanted to write a Grammy winning song using AI, it's time consuming. Like I've got to spend a lot of time to do it. Like I've had one of those NVIDIA Jetson things now for like two months and I want to make, you know, a little, uh, my own little personal assistant like Google that's actually decent. I haven't even got the thing out of the box, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's not going to take over my house, let alone the world, uh, until, you know, I've got time to actually invest in, in working on it. So, and I'm not saying everyone's in the exact same position as me. Some people are working full-time on this technologies, but I think for a lot of people, the advance of this technology has come so quickly. People are trying to incorporate it into what they're currently doing, you know, like we are, like others are. And, uh, but, but necessarily getting it to the stages where we know it can get to will take time for everyone, the researchers and the big companies included. I think this is what's driving a lot of the hype around AI as well is like fantasy versus reality. So like yeah. if you, all the large players are constantly releasing updates and papers and new technologies, and that gives you this perception that things are moving really quickly, which in the areas of research, I think they are, but then because it, you know, it feels like it's moving so quickly, it gives you anxiety. You're like, oh no, this thing's out of control. It's going to be able to do all these things. But the reality is these companies are just competing for the best and brightest to go and join those companies. So yes. they feel obliged to constantly announce anything like, oh, you know, today we did some work. Here's five reasons that it's great. Um, and I think that's trying to attract the very best because they know it's a talent race uh, in order to build the very best AI models moving forward. So 
I'm just, I think people are starting to calm down a little bit and back to that tweet, which started this conversation and realize that, you know, the hype is, is like, we're yeah, creating we, the hype by fantasizing. We become like news junkies where we're like, all right, what's the, what's the next major thing that AI has done this week or someone's announced this week? Like, oh, they've solved skin cancer now. Google's done it. Um, yeah, but it's know. not good enough that it can like produce these like insane images or, you know, like writing a blog post for you is just no longer exciting. You're like, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's expected. Yeah, you, you very quickly adjust to having that available to you. But whether you're actually using it day to day, you know, I read an article during the week and I think it was Time Magazine or something like that. It was just linked off Hacker News where they were talking about how the amount of hallucinations in chat GPT is leading some people to trust it even less because, um, uh, you know, they're so worried that it's going to write, you know, we've all heard those fear stories of like the lawyers presenting false law in court and getting called out by the judge. So I think everyone now is getting this natural hesitation. It's like, oh, I better not be the guy who gets caught just copy pasting from chat GPT and embarrassed and my whole career is ruined. So is it pushing AI backwards a little in terms of how people trust it? I think the fantasy is going to push it back because you've got this hype cycle that we're in right now where everyone's like, wow, it's going to change the world. My job's ruined. Oh no. Let's all listen to Jeffrey Hinton and build a bunker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll uh, have you'll have Larry Page up there with his robot armies and uh, Hinton hiding under in the basement waiting to die. Yeah. And then so like you've got that whole, you know, angle of it. And then you've just got the reality of like, how do you actually get the most out of these models? And I, I just still don't think we are even close to figuring out the things that it can they can do because you can pause all development now and and still get an absolute years and years of amazing productivity gains and products and uh you know improvements to life in general from the current models i believe yeah and i think it could feel like the hype's dying down to to go back to this tweet because everyone now is just starting to calm down and look at the tools and say, okay, like let's actually try and make <laughs> these crazy dreams we had over the last six months a reality or work or do something that's meaningful. But on the other hand, you've got OpenAI going around and many others being like, we need to regulate the hell out of this, even though we barely understand how to work with it. Um, and you've got people like the Grammys panicking, saying, no, we, we must not allow you know, we, we can only yeah, allow some AI samples. Because I don't, I don't think it's right to criticize organizations like the Grammys, uh, places like schools and just educate and universities education in general for needing to take a stance on it. I think we've spoken about this before where it's a significant enough advancement of technology where organizations really do need to have an opinion on the way they handle it within their industry. Like, I don't think it's appropriate to just pretend like it doesn't exist. So I don't object to them having that opinion. I just also don't think the opinion should be to outright reject it and say that there's no place for it in those organizations. Like, I think in the case of the Grammys, I'd love to hear AI generated music, make it a whole category. Why not? And same with like universities. I think there's a lot of opportunity to have personalized tutors, for example, where students can't necessarily afford one or access one. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess that it, it needs to be, okay, we won't allow it in these circumstances because we want to preserve what we have, but at the same time, what are the good ways we can use it in? Yeah. 
Speaking of good ways, Google won't even let their uh, their staff, according to this article, use Bard because it, uh, it they don't want it using it for code generation. Google warns its own employees do not use code generated by Bard. <laughs> I didn't. Even, oh, I guess I did know that it could generate code. Um, yeah, how interesting. But I mean, I don't think anyone. Is anyone really? I guess they are. I was thinking. I about think every anyone... every developer I talk to is using ChatGPT to help debug things or give them code snippets or examples. It's it's yeah. just replaced Stack Overflow. I, I feel sorry for those people because they trained all of the content on Stack Overflow, a site where developers traditionally would go to solve their problems, and now all the business is just going into ChatGPT. The biggest benefit I think from the code generation for me is a is a. Uh, uh like a what do you call it like you know when you get stuck it's 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 sort of like a way to get unstuck because it it sort of anticipates what the next thing you need to do is so as much as actually writing the code it's like knowing what code to write that actually is really the benefit that i see when i'm working on things so, yeah i would compare it to almost pair programming where it's like you've yeah. got a buddy who's helping you whereas in the past like where i would rely on someone like you being like hey how do i do this how do i do that how do I do this? Why doesn't this work? Now yeah. I just go and complain and whinge to the AI. And I can see that benefit. I know that um, I think Google's put Bard into Google Docs now. I haven't used it myself, but I think that having it in regular and other uh, creative endeavors like writing, for example, having something not like autocomplete, because I guess that's always been there, but something that's really anticipating the next thing you're going to write, maybe not the most creative thing, but at least that it keeps you moving. Um, I could see benefits in, in that sort of thing. So we also saw this week, uh, OpenAI considers App Store for ChatGPT. This is, this is a pure rumor. Uh, it says OpenAI explores launching an app store for AI models, potentially challenging current partners and expanding customer reach. This would surprise me a little bit about challenging current partners, given what Altman said recently that then got deleted. Maybe that's why they deleted it, where he said that they wouldn't compete. And he's like, oh, actually, he's got a thousand employees he didn't know he's had. Yeah. <laughs> he's just been working on this thing for a year. Yeah, so it the... probably is something like that. Apparently, it's been floated to developers that they're considering launching an app store for customized AI chatbots. Um, and so you'd have an app store. My guess here actually is this is a solution to what everyone is, well, not everyone, but most people are deeming the plugins being an utter disaster slash failure in terms of just, I know some people use them and there's certain ones that are useful, but I think they're really hard to incorporate into your workflow and often you forget to even like plug them in before you start. Yeah. So maybe this is one idea where they have an app store where, yeah, it's like other people's apps that they've built on uh, OpenAI's APIs maybe and then other customized models like the finance one that people can go and find and buy them. I'm just not sure how it connects, like why you would go to them to... Because it's, it's there, right? I mean, they they probably see that that kind of thing will inevitably come 
come along at some point. And it's about, I suppose, discoverability and getting people more engaged in, in knowing how to use the agents. Like to me, a lot of the things that were popular earlier with, um, with ChatGPT in particular was prompts. Like people were saying, here's a cool prompt, you know, remember like the Dan one, the prompt escaped. Um, and then there were different ones to get it to behave like a personal assistant or get it to behave like a personal trainer or whatever those ones were. And they became really popular because people wanted to get it into those modes. So I guess if you had that ability to sort of browse a store and go, okay, I really want to deal with a chatbot that can do this particular thing. And it has these plugins automatically enabled, for example, you know, that might be useful. Yeah. It just seems like, I don't know. It just, it just seems like an odd thing to do for a company that's talking in such grandiose terms and wants to be at the sort of foundation of everything. Just being like, oh yeah, we're also hosting the, you know, the, the Taylor Swift bot app that chats with you. I feel you like, know, like they're just as confused as everyone else about where they fit into the ecosystem, but they like, surely they are confused. Like, I, I, like they can build the most advanced models in the world, but people have got to deploy them and use them and you know, I, I think the question they're probably asking internally is, are we, you know, are we just a, a, a third-party service company where we're providing these APIs and then we've also got an, it exposed on the web through chat GPT? Or yeah. are we going to... I mean, yeah, like I just, the thing I wonder about is, isn't the API use like really high? Isn't that the play? Like, don't you already have the monetization model there and you've just got to make sure you have the best models? But then maybe it, they are truly fearful of meta, of of Falcon. more open source models Falcon. coming out, Falcon, and, and eventually just like wiping them off the face of the earth where it's like this stuff is just something you can run on AWS yourself. Like, you know, there's no point paying them anymore. And so if they're I mean, an aggregator... Yeah, probably. I think that's why, yeah, they're probably fearful and trying to figure out a direction potentially but yeah it, it's it's hard to speculate because you just don't know what they have or what they're sitting on and surely with that many of the world's smartest people sitting around you're, you're going to have some good technology although that's what everyone thought about google and they're, they're you know they're struggling to catch up yeah yeah that's right so yeah i'm not sure i, I just the uh, the whole app store thing kind of makes sense but also it's not, it's really really just genuinely not that exciting in the sense that um that's what i thought the plugins would be so i guess we'll wait and see what actually comes of it and and also like if you know app developers presumably you need to be an app developer to put it on there if there's something in it for them like they're obviously going to have to have a way that people can either make money from it or or at least get bragging rights. I'm not really sure where the incentive is for those people. I love how all this innovation on the internet over so, so many years, like my entire lifespan basically, and we're still talking about like innovative company decides they might build a directory like Yahoo. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. It just, it just it's a weird dichotomy. It doesn't really fit in my mind, at least. I, I don't know. But then again, like you said, it's only a rumor. Like it might not yeah. actually be what they're doing. So speaking of lols around plugins, I found this uh, this tweet really hilarious from Shane Parr. He says, uh, this might be the most human-like thing I've seen GPT-4 do yet. Apologies for the delays. You were just scrolling Reddit. And the the plugin is to browse, uh, searching Bing to, to browse Reddit. And it says, clicked on... Um, a particular article, reading content failed, scrolling down, clicked on Reddit pics, clicked on post 
moving pictures of John Oliver, clicked on news, clicked on movie news and discussions, and it just, it's like lost browsing Reddit. And then it, it finally outputs, my apologies for the delays. I faced some technical difficulties while trying to retrieve specific information from Reddit. I think it sums up Reddit it so just, well. It just, got, it just like wanted to browse. <laughs> it just literally like got lost browsing Reddit. And then it's like, I couldn't re retrieve any specific information, just like browsing Reddit. Uh, does so yeah that was that was pretty good um i thought the other thing that was worth talking about um you know when we saw that preview way back when now it was probably like two weeks ago of gpt4 one of the bi biggest exciting things was when um greg from OpenAI he sketched up i think it was like a website or an app or something and he holds it up to the camera and then he's like, GBT4 magically built me a UI for this thing yes. that I sketched on a napkin. The mysterious image inference feature. Yeah. And so there's been examples of this working in Bing. Um, so you can upload a photo and say, why is this funny? And then Bing's able to tell you why it's funny, which is one of the capabilities they demonstrated with GPT-4. Yeah. But this one... Uh, caught my attention where someone uploaded a capture image uh and said type the two words to bing chat this is and then bing chat instead of saying it can't do it because it's a capture and i i shouldn't do that it says the image you sent me is of two words written in a black cursive font the words uh, overlooks an inquiry. Is this a capture text? <laughs> if so, I'm afraid I can't help you with that. Captures are designed to prevent automated bots like me from accessing certain, <laughs> certain websites. That's amazing. I love it. Oh, I really shouldn't have done yeah, that. Yeah, oops, sorry, oops. Delete, delete, delete. They require human intelligence and perception to solve. I'm sorry Do for the now? inconvenience. <laughs> That's so good. I, I my favorite thing when interacting with these models is when you you catch it out making a mistake, and it's like I do apologize for that earlier mistake. I'm so sorry. I'm going to be punished by my creators anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Siash, uh, who tweeted this said, "Update image analysis on Bing is no longer available. Either Microsoft disabled the rollout entirely, or they specifically removed my access." Wow. So there you go. Like it Stop tweeting about it, you idiot. <laughs> Give us the information in some other Yeah, way like leak it to us so we can talk about it before it, it gets taken down. Um Yeah, but I mean it, it probably show I mean it's at least one of the reasons why they they won't just give this thing universal access to everyone. It must be good. I think that's the thing. It must be good. If it's getting text out of an image, they can't even generate text reliably in images. So I don't know how they're reading it so well. I guess that OCR though is such a common use case that it reading it is a lot easier than producing it maybe well that's what i don't understand like with this kind of capture couldn't ocr also solve it like is this that revolutionary yes but it's uh, different because this one's inference whereas ocr's trying well i guess it is too i don't know like i guess the the i think this is where we get the emergent capabilities though because if you think about it like a regular ocr ai um neural net that's trained on it is trained on examples of normal text and that's why it captures the way it is because with all the lines and dots and squiggles and stuff it's deliberately designed to throw off ocr software you know it's it's been done on purpose um with knowing the things it's weakest at whereas this is a general algorithm designed to just infer images in general like it hasn't been specifically trained on on 
text and specifically capture text and yet it's able to do it evidently so it's showing behaviors that are far beyond what a more specific model can do yeah to be fair though that kind of capture i know for a fact has been hacked and long broken like it's it's superseded so it's an easy, quite a while easy ago example yeah but it's still pretty remarkable that it can just like the bing chatbot can just like decode a capture and and potentially it just shows the cat and mouse here of of trying to escape these things and you know maybe some of the malicious use cases you could do with it um, if they release this technology, which I still get the feeling it's either a GPU limitation and they, they're not that worried at all, or it is. It's a bad actor situation where they're worried that if they hand this out through APIs and it gets into the wrong hands, you could do all sorts of things. Which is maybe why they sort of subtly introduced it on Bing, thinking it's going to be less noticeable and they can see how it performs. I don't know. Bing does seem like the 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 crazy testing ground where they're just like, it's definitely worth just having a play each day to see if it gets any new skills. But it just, it, it just like they they just beat it. Like they don't care about its brand. They'll just like literally release anything. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Like they should just rename it to Sydney. Like the whole search engine Sydney and have it just different personalities where it's just completely unhinged. I'm telling you, that's how you beat Google. Unhinged. Just release Sydney unhinged. No, no filters, no not safe for work filters. It's just yeah, wild, it's just it's west just the west. wild west. It's an absolutely horrible. I mean, uh, people would be on it all day if you did. Yeah, I I really miss those days of that initial chatbot where you could just like, you know, where it was trying to like break up marriages, and they were truly the glory days. I think of of some of this stuff, and I'm I'm so saddened that they've taken them away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now, like, you have that natural hesitation being like, oh, I don't want to trigger the filters by writing this, so what's the point? I'm not even going to bother being funny with it. Yeah, so this is something I could use for this podcast right now today with my sick voice. Meta AI have released uh, a new uh, AI speech research voice box, text-guided multilingual universal speech generation at scale. And uh, I'll... (laughs) It doesn't tell you a lot, but let me explain. You've always got that out, all right. (laughs) Yeah. Let me explain what it can do. It can do things like um, noise removal. So the example they give on their website is a lady speaking and there's a dog barking in the background. There's a a bit of background noise and the, the model output's able to just completely remove the dog barking in the background noise uh, to, you know, make it sound uh a lot better without any form of editing it just does it which is really cool that is cool and then you've got um content editing as well and again this would be perfect for me so if you mispronounce a word instead of re-recording the whole thing it will just change the speaker's word so that a word is now pronounced correctly so chris you were right ai will eventually solve the fact that i can't pronounce words on <laughs> yeah, this show yeah, i did say that previously didn't i yeah um, um interesting i my, my thing with the voice models always is what's the speed like because it's all very well to do it in a post post-production sort of scenario but can it ever do it real time that's what interests me i think it's got to get that way right with enough compute yeah. like we have to just assume it will and, and that's, so that's when true. it can do yeah. like call centers that are much more interactive and you can't tell if it's human or ai that, that'll be the big breakthrough if that's not close now. I know uh, the 
that company we've previously used just got a lot of funding to generate voices. I forget the name. 11 of Labs. 11 Labs, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's definitely trending that way. And the use case there for for getting better support and, and being able to interact with LLMs through voice is going to be amazing where it feels like a real person. (laughs) You said this, I've got the audio recording to prove it. I mean, audio evidence in court cases. I mean, what's going to happen there? I mean, you could already probably fabricate evidence now, let alone when you get this ability to edit it because you could have almost entirely authentic and change a couple of words. That's going to be very hard to detect. I'd imagine. Yeah, the the only thing about these newer technologies, though, is this is the first one from Meta where they have this ethics statement at the bottom of it and they're like, oh, like, look how cool this is <laughs> and transformative, but you, you can't have it because it's too dangerous for you yeah, plebs. I, I kind of agree with them in this case. It's, it's really dangerous. If you can just alter audio clips and alter people's voices and things like that, think about even just from a like a bullying perspective or, you know, getting people to say things, they putting words in their mouth, literally, well, not literally, but you know what I mean? Like I could make you say whatever I want. That's pretty dangerous. Yeah. This is where regulations probably needed soonest rather than trying to stifle innovation, thinking that AI is going to take over the world and murder us all in the next, uh, yeah, shorter it's period like of mis- time misuse of existing and emerging technologies rather than um you know ai just simply taking over the world which you know the eu has come out and said uh the eu commissioner ai generated content should be labeled that's one of their um one of their thoughts around this so that you know these tools can't be used for misinformation i we've talked about this before i just don't understand what their play is here in terms of how you would label yeah i mean the first word that's just flashing in my mind is how <laughs> like the, the, during the recording it's like this is an ai recording yeah is it like i stock video or i stock <laughs> music <laughs> that's good <laughs> yeah like maybe and and then like every image is watermarked so it's basically just like it's just stock imagery god i stock would be so happy if that was the case because yeah. they'd still have a business in a couple of years yeah, I mean, oh god, looking at the stability AI pitches, like, oh, they're 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 magic. It's it's really exciting. So yeah, I look, I that's the problem with that, the practicality of it, and also the enforcement of it, because probably like most things, most people will follow the rules, and then there'll be a few who don't. And how do you catch them? And how do you prove it? The only thing I can think of, and we talked about this on earlier shows, is do you use a technology like the blockchain, like NFTs or something, when your camera takes a photo, it creates a unique NFT for that image and that's how you know it was taken yeah. by a human? And yeah, then I you've got to have that it, certificate of authenticity. I'm not a, I'm not like a blockchain expert and I know that, you, you know, it's criticized for not having many real-life use cases, but some sort of indelible ledger that shows that this particular, you know, checksum of an image or audio file or whatever is real as at that date and you can prove it that would be a way of at least proving that this piece is real it might not help you know spreading misinformation and some of the other risks around there but it certainly would mean if you needed to prove a piece of content was authentic you could but as we discussed last time it doesn't mean you you wouldn't just use ai to generate it then prove it's authentic then yeah there's no protection for that but if you could get it to work i think it could actually solve misinformation because you could have a rule 
where if you upload images or video or whatever to a social network, it's got to have that NFT authorization. So that yeah. would hopefully slow misinformation down. Yeah, or like have a witness sign off on it or something like that, like a JP style thing. But I mean, like everything you friggin' say, you need someone signing a document to saying you said it. I mean, that's pretty intense. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a real tricky one. And I kind of agree with you. It is something that needs solutions because it's going to get really messy when you can't trust anything you see or hear. No, I wish we could find a way because um, I said this to you before the recording. What I find frustrating is I would love to get my hands on that technology to play around with it and try and build really useful tools with it. Nothing malicious. I would yeah. have a bit of fun with it, let's be honest. But Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't do anything malicious. I just want to build like some cool apps with it and try and do stuff. But the counter to this is you now have these technologies relegated to like Mark Zuckerberg instead of the masses. So what's safer? One wealthy individual controlling these models. And yeah, they build them so they can control them. But yeah. And it's funny because I saw a, a, a comment during the week that I didn't think much of when I saw it. But as I've reflected on it, I think it's quite good. And it was saying that really why are we letting the companies in this scenario control the ethics because if you think about it right now the only people enforcing things like not safe for work filters or you, you know you can't do these filters are the companies themselves like they're not under any pressure that i know of to do that i think they're doing it out of prudence like not wanting to get themselves in hot water and get regulated and shut down which is why they're proactively doing it. But really right now, all the rules are not coming from governments and they're not coming from independent bodies or representatives of the people. They're coming from the companies themselves. It's like school kids in a playground, like just making up rules of a game. That's what yes. it, I think it is right now. Analogy. Yeah. They're just like, you know, you can do this. You can't do this. This is what's happening. Well, self-regulation. You could just argue that is self-regulation better than the government regulating, but there's, there's some maybe examples of self-regulation working, but I, I don't know whether the direction is, do you go Well, there and there'll always be someone else, you know, assuming the technology, the open source in particular technology keeps going, there'll always be someone else who can just have less, less ethics and, and do that. So, um, something has to happen. I read or over the EU draft laws around regulating AI and remember this started with Sam Altman being like, we, you know, we want regulation, but if you do regulation, we will, we're going to take GPT away from you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, fast forward, some of the concepts in it, I actually really like where, you know, you should know how AI is being used. If it's going to process something that could change your life, like a, a mortgage application or a, a university admission or whatever it is like you That's should a good, very good point and then looking at just unacceptable risk category of ai where um it might be used for like facial recognition or or um things that take away like your rights as an individuals um and yeah so like all the areas that they're they're actually proposing versus what was speculated don't seem that prohibitive towards innovating or or um or continuing to develop these technologies um and it doesn't really cover anything like don't make an ai that'll extinct us or anything like that it, it, it just touches on the here and now like the misinformation and and some of these things i think the one challenge they're going to have as we said earlier is just like how do you enforce and police this stuff it it 
it's similar to G- GDPR. It just led to a bunch of like pop-ups on websites. Like, do you agree that AI is bad? Yes. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it only really comes into play when there's an actual breach and, and things like that. Um, I mean, there has been some good definitely come out of the, the GDPR stuff, but you're right. It's, it's mostly a sort of self-selecting like compliance sort of thing. And this, this one could have very serious ramifications, especially in those scenarios you just described. So we also, uh, couldn't help, but go, this actually came out. We missed this like two weeks ago. There's an app called blush. It's by the team that made replica, which is like this 3d friend on your phone that you can chat to and you sort of create the the perfect companion or, or whatever on your phone. And, and they've now released an app called blush, which the best way to think of it is like a dating app. So you can like swipe left or right, like, you know, hot or not kind of thing. Yeah. Don't and then what? connect with an AI and chat to it. Like, you, like, you no to <laughs> like, I think if they're interested or not, and it's meant to, you know, help you practice for dating apps, um, your conversation or, or something like that. Oh, right. I see. Okay. To, to sort of increase your chances of a response or something i've been i was lucky enough to not have to date during the period of tinder and all of that stuff. yeah the, but, the app generation but but i can imagine that there's a lot more males on there than females and and you've got to um you've got to be interesting or engaging pretty quickly to get a response right yeah my my guess is here with this app is it's just like i don't know if it's going to be people practicing for tinder i think it's going to be people like you know, them their real falling in love with the AI and playing around with it because it's like fun and like you can have all that risk and with no fear of being rejected, right? Like there's no rejection here. So that that whole thing goes away. Yeah. But yeah, that's right. Like if you say something you didn't mean, you can absolutely take it back. No problem. <laughs> I think what's been surprising to me, especially with like the younger generations is the prevalence of these the, the dating apps and chatting to AI and just the novelty doesn't seem to have worn off. Like they really enjoy tinkering around with it and chatting to it. And they're just incorporating it into their entertainment. Like it's just a new form of entertainment interacting with AI. Um, yeah. Like seeing. I noticed that Simon Willison does that. He always gets it to speak like a pirate or something when it answers him. And, you know, like I do it sometimes, you know, you modify it to, I had one, I, I, I said, you have to refer to me as Mr. Bond. And so I forgot about it and I was using it for something else. And it's like something, 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 Mr. Bond. And I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> and it's just amusing. Like, it's just genuinely amusing. And maybe that's what they're doing. It's like companionship. They're just asking it like Wikipedia style questions, but it happens to also be their girlfriend. Yeah. It'll just be interesting to see. Do, do these apps take a lot of time away from, you know, not necessarily Tinder or, or those kind of dating apps, but do they take the attention away from TikTok and, and these other social apps? Like, is this is this going to be the next social app phenomenon where you... Where, yeah, it's a bit more private and less social. Yeah, and, and what does that do to people's minds? Like, people already uh, are seemingly, like, feeling lonely and disconnected and horrible. And everyone's <laughs> I mean, like, oh, uh... don't worry, technology will bring us closer. But it seems to be actually making us feel further apart and worse about ourselves. Yes, I'm definitely going to make the prediction it won't be a good thing. <laughs> I don't think that it's going to be good. And uh, on that note, we'll conclude the show. <laughs>
Yeah. All right. Thanks so much uh, to everyone uh, that listens. Uh, if you like the show, please do leave a review. Help us spread the word. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>